The moment, long expected, was still shocking when it came. Queen Elizabeth II, Britain's longest reigning monarch, had died. For 70 years, the Queen was a fixture in the national life of Britain, and indeed the wider world. The world changed immeasurably in the decades since she inherited the throne in 1952. The country she came to rule was quite unlike the one she died in. She inherited not merely a country, but an empire, and then presided over its breaking apart. Although the death of the Queen was expected, as the ritual of its declaration demonstrated, it still leaves the country in a deeply uncertain state, an uncertainty that extends to the 14 other countries in which she was the head of state, as well as the wider Commonwealth. In this podcast, we will hear the scene outside Buckingham Palace in the immediate aftermath of the Queen's death, as well as exploring what her passing means for the country as a whole. I'm Faisal Yafai. From New Lines magazine, this is The Lead. As the news was announced, our culture editor Lydia Wilson was walking towards Buckingham Palace as the crowds began to gather. I spoke to her from the Mall, although our conversation was frequently interrupted by blackouts as the phone lines were overloaded by thousands of mourners. So Lydia, tell me, I mean, what can you see? There are just so many people. And you know, I've been here probably half an hour or so coming and going. And in that time, it's just an order of magnitude more people. There are people arriving all the time. There are black black cabs dropping people, people being dropped with flowers, people walking from every single direction. There are so many people here. And you know, you live in London, Faisal, you know what it's like. I mean, it is a phenomenally cosmopolitan city. And there's just every, I can't tell you how many languages I'm hearing. And a lot of people grieving. The grief is interesting, isn't it? Because, of course, the the Queen was 96 when she passed away. So the there was an expectation that she would pass away at some point. Yeah, there's a lot of flowers, people bringing flowers. There's a really sombre mood that it, it just does feel like already a, a sort of spontaneous national funeral already. The, the mood is very much like that. There are there are police everywhere, um, but it's all very subdued presence. Um, people sort of... I, it, it looks like a mass outpouring of grief. That's all I can say. And it, it, it isn't. It, it, it isn't national. It is very international. That's the that's the things that strike me. And the and the other thing is the sheer size of the crowds. There are so many people here, and there are more people arriving every single minute. You're now outside the palace. What an hour after it was announced that Queen Elizabeth had passed, mm. the formal announcement that they place outside the palace is now up. So the kind of the ritual has begun of announcing that this has happened. Oh, I wonder if... sorry to interrupt. Faisal, they're cheering. They're giving cheers for the Queen. I don't know who's organising this, but they're spontaneous. And now there are people um, with their phones. Um, yeah, cheering and speeches and a lot of emotion. It just is all a very spontaneous outpouring. I think there's so much affection here for her. I think that I think people are feeling a sense of some sort of, of shared emotion, whether that is grief or just a celebration for a life or, or or some kind of feeling of an end of an era. You know, there's a sense that people are coming together um, in, in, a, in a point of history. I've got a lot of people texting me saying I'm on my way. There's a sense that people are gathering here to, to mark the occasion, whatever that occasion means to them, which means that it, there's a real, I think that it's a focal point of the, of the country coming together. 
Um, and that, that sense of solidarity in experience is, seems to be resulting in some spontaneous expressions. I can't quite understand what they're saying, to be honest. The crowds are just too big. So it's been almost an hour now since the, the death of the Queen was announced. And now the formal notice has been placed outside Buckingham Palace. So there's a kind of ritual that is beginning now, which will ultimately culminate in Prince Charles, now King Charles III, being crowned. Yes, yes. The ritual isn't so striking here. People were waiting for that notice. I arrived about, I think, 10, 15 minutes after the, the, the announcement on the BBC because I was, in a, I was in a pub just five minutes away. So I just walked down here and there were very few people here, just the normal kind of tourists. And that's what everyone was waiting for, that black announcement that gets pinned up. Um, and and I, I, I waited, but now I'm too far away from there to actually see it. You know, that's... People were waiting for the ritual and not really getting it. You know, there's a couple of beefeaters doing their normal guarding job. Um, I don't know. They'll be the most photographed guardsmen in the, in the palace's history, I should think. They're... And I think you being in London gives you a sense that this is not merely an occasion for one country. It's an occasion in some ways for the whole of the world. Um, you talked a little bit about the crowds and the cosmopolitan nature of the crowds, but already you hear the tributes coming in from all around the world for this woman who had been reigning for so many decades, was so recognisable. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, of course, Britain isn't a, a big country, but she's involved politically in so many more countries, head of state, queen, of, of, of tens of countries around the world that form the Commonwealth. Um, this is a global af affair. And however important it is to some countries, you know, there's more importance, constitutionally speaking, to some than others. But still, there is that involvement of the Queen in their country's histories of millions and millions of citizens around the world. And to be honest, I see that reflected in the crowds today or, or um, just the, the, the sheer amount of emotion um, from so many different types of people here today. And what do you think now will happen to the institution? Because, of course, once King Charles III is crowned, he will become the focus of the press, the focus of the public on the monarchy. And as you say, there is immense affection for the person of the Queen. I wonder if there will be quite as much affection for the person of Charles III. Well, exactly. That's all to be seen, isn't it? And it is very important. And he's a very, very different person. And he's had an extremely different life. He's been monarch in waiting for all his, what is he now, in, into his 70s. Yeah, 73, exactly. Yeah, he's been, he's been the heir to the throne for 70 years, for seven decades. And that's just an extraordinarily odd life. He's now the age when most people in this country have retired. Yeah. And he is now getting the chance to do the job for the first time. So we don't really know what, even though, of course, he's deeply familiar to, to all of us, we don't really know what kind of king that life produces. Mm, um, yeah. or the differences he will make. And, you know, we're all a bit hazy on the exact role of the monarch. I think around the world there's mass confusion about what the Queen actually does and what powers she has, which is very little, actually. Uh, but they do have certain forms of soft power, certain forms of influence. And I think Charles will probably, from what we've seen about all his memos to politicians over the years, I think probably he will try and influence uh, uh, contemporary society 
contemporary politics in a way that, that Queen Elizabeth was, was much, much lighter touch. Yeah, I mean, he's very likely, based on everything that we know about his public role so far, to take a very different attitude towards the monarchy. And of course, as the head of the monarchy, he gets to decide it. I mean, the Queen famously created the role around herself, but it will be for Charles III to decide how that role plays out. Well, in a very, very different world. I mean, mm, yeah. Queen Elizabeth did a lot of that 70 years ago. The world is entirely different to 1952. Yeah. It, we, we, we've got a different type of politics. We've got a very different media. We, we've got a different society. We've got a very different um, um, class system now. I mean, of course, it's the same in some fundamental respects, but it's also changed a lot. And so he's going to find it very much harder. There's more scrutiny going to be on him. Um, there's, I would say, less room to manoeuvre. Um, there'll be less understanding given, granted to him from politicians. I think he'll have far less scope than she did. Yeah. Well, we were talking before about the way that the monarchy is very much embedded in American, uh, in British life, um, in the way that, for example, it can be difficult for outsiders to grasp. Like the analogy I was making, I think, when we were talking earlier, was about the way that gun culture is so embedded in the American psyche. And it's very difficult for outsiders to understand it. And I think the monarchy is something very similar in the UK. Like, it's very difficult for people on the outside to understand the role of the monarchy and how it fits yeah, into the culture. Absolutely. And actually, I wonder if we can even extend that to ourselves and Britain as a whole, because speaking personally, I was quite surprised by the Jubilee this year. It, it sort of passed me by. The planning stages of it all passed me by. I was aware that it was coming, that she'd been on the throne 70 years and that was an extraordinary achievement and you couldn't really avoid it because there was things on sale but celebrating it wherever you looked. Um, but it, when, it, when it came round and everybody it seemed in my town was having a street party, um, I suddenly realised that it was quite a major event for people. In a way it wasn't for me. So that was an insight to me. The Jubilee this year was an insight that actually there still was maybe a lot more affection and and pride in in the institution than I had realised as a Brit. Yeah, I think there's quite a lot of latent feeling towards the monarchy. I actually think you will experience something very similar when yeah. Charles is crowned. I think you will see a certain pageantry that we haven't experienced in a very long time. And I think it will it will make people believe things about the royal family and about the monarchy that perhaps we thought could only yeah. be vested in the person of the queen. It'll actually turn out that it is vested in the person of Charles now as well. Yes, I do wonder what that will be like. And I wonder how the press and public are going to respond to that kind of thing. Actually, the BBC, when they did the announcement, um, they ran some of the footage from the coronation um, back in 1953, uh, you know, it was famously the reason why lots of people in this country bought a TV. Yeah. Uh, they hadn't had yeah. a TV before and it, it prompted a lot of purchasing. And uh, seeing that, that pageantry uh, that's based on such ancient rituals and the crown jewels are quite familiar to us if you've been a tourist in London. Um, and the, the the robes, all of it. Yes, I wonder. I wonder how people are going to react. Whether they're going to be to have the pride and the sense of nationalism and the national belonging and national identity that might come with that kind of pageantry, or there might be a backlash against the institution itself. I don't know. 
I do think that it's quite interesting to think about it. I mean, we've only, you know, we're literally, what, an hour and a half after the, the announcement. Um, and it's sort of interesting that we're in this liminal period where you just don't quite know what the world looks like without mm. uh, Elizabeth II. Mm. It's a sort of strange... Uh, I would. I don't know if it's. It's definitely a kind of nat national grief, even if it isn't a personal grief. Mm -hmm. um, but I think a lot of people haven't quite got to grips with what that world would look like. No. Um, and I wonder if it's. You know, it feels extremely surreal around here. It. It. I think there's a real sense that this is a historical event, and that's why the crowds are just flooding in to the extent that they are. And you know, the flowers are mounting up, and the people are, and people seem to be. Some people seem to be digging in for the night, um, you know, in a kind of vigil type way. I can see candles, um, and it's and it's raining, so there yeah. are people kind of handing out ponchos and umbrellas and things. Um, so there's there's a sense that there's something incredibly important and historic and maybe the, one of the most important things that's happened for a while. There's, there's a sense of that importance of it all. But at the same time, I don't think people are grasping it. And certainly there isn't any real news to go on or anything to do or anything to react to. The fact of the matter is it has happened. We've been told it's happened. And this is, a, a, this is the, the, the waiting stage. Yeah, as you say, a liminal space somehow. And we don't really know, do we? We don't know what the future brings. In a way, it's going to show us what a monarch actually does because none of us have ever experienced a different one. And now seeing a, a, a different one take on the same job will potentially show us more about, or more about Queen Elizabeth herself and how she did it in the difference to the reign of King Charles III. As mourners gathered outside Buckingham Palace in London, in America, Joe Biden led the tributes to her life, ordering US flags to be lowered to half-staff to mark her death. Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II was more than a monarch, he said. Her legacy will loom large in the pages of British history and in the story of our world. America's relationship with the monarchy is complicated, said Amy Ferris Rotman, speaking from her home in London, and touches on politics, identity, and even a longing for the old world. Well, let's start with your observations. I mean, you've been watching the news for the last nearly coming up to three hours now since the death of the Queen. Um, what have you, uh, how have your, what are your feelings about what's happened and how are you reading the news? Well, when, um, when Buckingham Palace said earlier today that she was, that the Queen um, was in very poor health and, and, and that it was being monitored, you know, I, I, I had to take a double take and think, okay, well, something clearly serious is happening here because they don't make statements like that very often. And she obviously, well, she was 96. She has had loads of health scares in recent years. But yeah, yeah so something that was different this time was the way the coverage kept rolling. So BBC, all the newspapers, all the British media kind of went with it went with the fact that she was sick and so yeah and it felt very much like the end yeah what was your interpretation of that because it was very stage managed i mean she must have she passed away in the early afternoon but as you say there was all this choreographed uh, news coverage up until 6 30 when they finally admitted that she had she had already died it was super choreographed, but I also think the Canadians, who are part of the Commonwealth and have the Queen on their money, um, they kind of gave it away. Um, and a lot of Canadian journalists started tweeting, oh, wait a minute, all public institutions are going to be shut tomorrow. And that's before 
Buckingham Palace had announced that she was dead. Um, yeah. And so I just thought, oh, okay, clearly this is, um, th th these are the final moments. I mean, things, Britain is a rather hysterical country. I think that's, um, that's a fair, when it comes to the monarchy, especially, I mean, look at the pageantry we saw on display with the Jubilee in June um, of the Queen. I mean, things, things were quite over the top. Um, for the Jubilee, we were given an extra day off on a bank holiday weekend. Every single public institution seemed to be celebrating it. I mean, it was, um, it, it was, um, I don't know. Um, I remember remarking at the time, and it's going to sound a bit controversial, but I've spent a lot of time living in Russia, um, and it kind of reminded me of that for a moment. Interesting. And in, um, in what way? <laughs> well, in the sense that the state and the country and the people were expected to give 100% devotion to the Queen. This was on, on, on her jubilee um, in June, uh, the latest jubilee, her last jubilee. And... Um, and if you didn't, you were seen as um, a party pooper. You know, you, you were seen as bringing mm. down the mood. It was not, it was not a day for Republicans. And I, I mean, or Republicanism with a small R in the UK. I mean, there, there is a Republican movement here. Um, it's pretty small and it's on the fringes. Maybe it will grow after, after her death. Um, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, what do you what do you think about that? Do you think that it's likely to engender a change in the way in the mood of the public towards the monarchy? I don't know. A lot of people, a lot of commentators have always said that once the Queen dies, um, th people within the UK, but also abroad, but people within the UK are going to start to feel differently because the Queen, um, simply by the fact she w was with us for for almost everyone's life. I mean, she was 96. Mm, almost everybody's life. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, yeah. I mean, she reigned, you know, for, for seven decades. But now you've got Prince Charles, now King Charles, and he's also not very well liked here and abroad. I'm very interested to see in the coming weeks after he's crowned Charles III, how much of that people will just forget. As you were saying, you know, there's people have known about his love of talking to plants and his letters to the ministers for so many years and decades. But I wonder if to some degree when he actually ascends to the throne, people will forget all of that and they'll invest some of their reverence for the monarchy in the personhood of Charles. Well, it's going to depend on how state institutions are framing it as well. Um, a lot of mm. things here already have him as a patron hundreds hundreds of institutions hundreds yeah, yeah i mean and yeah, he's yeah. also mm. got um a very popular charity the prince's trust which does very valuable work as well so i wonder how quickly um yeah things will change in his favor once he's um crowned you have a foot in two camps, really, don't you? Because you, you have an American connection and a British connection. Yeah. Uh, and I thought I'd ask you a bit about the reaction in the US. Because on the whole, I think the monarch is viewed, the monarch was viewed, I should say, very positively in the US. Oh, absolutely. And I would even say that Americans love the, the British monarchy more than Brits do, um, although that might be difficult to, to perceive in the coming days as we're going to see a, an enormous outpouring of grief here in the UK. Yeah. But I think Americans, because they do not have one because of some sort of romantic, you know, fanciful notion that um, is in the American 
general con public consciousness about what England means, this kind of quaint country where people drink tea and um, and um, have a royal family. They're, they're, and have a royal family, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean... Yeah, and turn out in the rain to weep for the woman who's passed away. Exactly. Which is what they're doing right now as we speak. Literally right now. I mean, it is pouring buckets as I speak to you, and the crowds at Buckingham Palace are just getting bigger and bigger. President Biden... Um, about an hour and a half ago, or maybe an hour ago, put out a statement, a very long statement, um, saying how fondly he remembered meeting the Queen in, in the 1980s and that she defined an era and stood by America during its darkest days, um, which are he described as 9-11. But um, I mean, the Queen was also there at the beginning after the horrors of World War Two. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's sort of fascinating that she, people would probably ascribe the darkest days of Britain to the Second World War. And now President Biden's ascribing the darkest days of America to post 9-11, 9-11. And she lived through both of those periods. Exactly. Exactly. She did. Um, but Biden seems very focused just on the recent era. And I guess, I mean, he's also not young, but I suppose that is the, one of the things that happens when you're so old. I mean, she was 96, almost a century. Yeah. So she she really did span a very long time. But yeah, I do think we're going to see, I don't know if it'll be an outpouring of grief from Americans, but Princess Diana, her death in 97, the American reaction to that was, it was certainly not expected. And the American reaction was one of total... Um, yeah, public mourning. Um, people people were really upset. Yeah, I mean, it really solidified the view of the Americans as as seeing the monarchy in some way related to them. Um, I wonder where where you interpret this love of the the Americans have for the monarchy. Do you think it's the institution that they have the love for, or the spectacle of it, perhaps, or or is it the person of, the person of the queen? Um, I think it's a mixture of spectacle. And this sort of American romanticization also of Europe. Mm, the old world. And... The old world, yeah. And where, you know, because, I mean, and I grew up in the United States. I mean, I went to high school there. And I would say most white Americans identify themselves through their European roots. And the monarchy's part of that. I, I wonder more broadly than America, what do you think the face of the monarchy will now become? Because you already see this, don't you, with the, the sort of the shift to the younger generation with William and, of course, Harry and his American wife. Mm. I wonder if even even when Charles is crowned, I wonder if that shift will continue and, and people will relate to the monarchy more through this younger generation than, than through Charles. Yeah, the younger generation definitely fell in love with, um, well, with Will Prince William, with his wife, Kate, um, obviously Harry's American, beautiful, um, half African-American wife, Meghan. Um, uh, the Brits fell out of love with her, and that's a whole separate discussion, which I think centers a lot around racism. Um, but Americans adore her. Um, and um, so, yeah, that, that has certainly brought a younger generation uh, to admire mm. the monarchy. Um, however, having said that, I do think we're going to see some changes um, pretty quickly. I mean, Barbe in, in the Caribbean, namely, which um, are, is composed of mostly former British colonies. And um, I think Barbados leaving the Commonwealth last year um, is going to set in motion 
um, a chain event of other Caribbean countries leaving, especially now without the Queen. As Amy mentioned, the death of Queen Elizabeth will affect all of Britain's international relationships, but none more so than the country's relationships with the 56 member states of the Commonwealth, 19 of which are in Africa. It's a relationship that is fraught with difficult, even dark history, said Kwango Liwewe when we spoke shortly after the news was announced. Well, from what I've been able to gather, it's been uh, different kind of reactions coming out from Africa. You know, there've been mixed reactions. Obviously the queen, she'll be undoubtedly remembered as, you know, being at the helm of the British empire in Africa. So um, as you'll know, they had colonies in West Africa, East Africa, Southern Africa. And the first generation of African leaders, really, these are the guys who fought for the independence. I mean, they seem mm. to have strong links with the UK. They had this affinity when it came to the UK. Um, but when you talk to this generation, they are not really praising her. They want to confront the colonial legacy. So we got a lot of negative reaction from um, the current day generation. Mm. I mean, that's one of the things that is often is lost in the conversation. I mean, that people often talk about the link that Queen Elizabeth had with with Africa because she was in Kenya when she inherited the throne. But that was also the year an independence movement broke out in Kenya. And th th this this history of the post-colonial period and the end of the uh, end of empire is really interwoven with the personhood of Queen Elizabeth. Absolutely correct when you say that. Um, yes, you, as you rightly mentioned, I mean, she was in Kenya when her father died and she was named the queen. But then when you look at um, African leaders such as Jomo Kenyatta, who was there at that time, Nyerere of Tanzania, Kaunda of Zambia, Kamuzibanda of Malawi, all these people, as I earlier said, really praised the queen. I mean, I was even thinking today that if they were still alive, they'll probably, their nations would have uh, national days of mourning, but we don't expect mm. to see that from the current leaders today. I mean, I've been trying to research. I went onto Twitter, checked our current president. So far, nobody has come out to offer their condolences yet to the queen, which is a bit surprising. As I mentioned earlier, that the previous presidents, the first generation leaders of Africa, would definitely have been mourning her. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? I mean, if you go back to when she first ascended the throne, there would have been quite a lot of people in those countries who supported her. And now you fast forward all the 70 years later. I mean, is she even relevant? Do many people I mean, across the African continent, do they know who the queen is? Do they care? <laughs> well, yes, they do know who she is because of our history, our history, especially um, the countries that were colonized by Britain. We um, are taught this in our history, so they definitely know who she is. Um, but what is coming out now is the current crop. This generation is talking about the brutal legacy they're calling it of her dehumanizing, not her rather, but um, the establishment uh, dehumanizing millions of people. And this was under her watch. They make mm. reference to such things as the Mau Mau revolt in Kenya, the massacres there. And surprisingly enough, the South Africans today are actually calling for the crown jewels. They say those belonged to South Africa and that they were stolen um, by not her in particular, but by the empire. And today they've been calls. I mean, those cost about $400 million. And a lot of South Africans have taken to Twitter and they're saying, we mm. want those Jews back. That's interesting. And of course, 
you know, Africa is such a large continent that when you think about the response to the countries that um, that were colonized by the UK, it's very different from the attitude that, for example, the French-speaking parts of Africa would have. Um, yes, that's true. We had very close ties with them. And the issue right now is we formed, um, well, rather, the countries formed the Commonwealth Group of Nations, right? And um, this was supposed to help these countries stay together under the Commonwealth, but not much has been done. Earlier on in the earlier days, of just post-independence, there was a lot of movement in this Commonwealth block of nations, but currently not much has been happening. Even on the economic front, there were hopes that after Brexit, uh, maybe Africa, Africa that's associated with the UK, of course, would benefit somehow, but they haven't seen this happen. And a lot of people are questioning the relevance of the Commonwealth right now. So these questions are all coming up. And now that she's gone and it will be under the leadership of her son, who we recently saw at the Commonwealth Heads of State meeting in Kigali, Rwanda, they're wondering what he'll bring on board, whether he'll bring new ideas and see the Commonwealth um, get better. Yeah, I want to talk a bit about that because that, that you know, there was this sudden switch from the former colonial um, countries to then the Commonwealth. And the the role the Queen had as the head of the Commonwealth, she seemed to take that very seriously. She seemed to, to want to hold the institution together. Um, and she visited most of the countries of the Commonwealth. But I always wonder if there was an uncomfortable link between the, the, the British, the royal family, the institutions of the, of the government and the Commonwealth. Is that something that you think some of the countries of Africa would have felt? Well, yes, she did initially in the first maybe... 10, 20 years, but really her presence hasn't really been felt in the past 20 years um, by these countries, especially the ones in Africa. Their cause for her, that she hasn't acknowledged the crimes and what happened, for instance, as I mentioned earlier on with the Mau Mau, um, what's, what happened in India, the country being plundered by the East Indian Company. So a lot of people feel like, you know, she, she hasn't admitted these atrocities and these crimes, and that has really angered a lot of people. Do you think there's a chance that the successor uh, as the head of the Commonwealth and the British monarch will engage with any of those issues? It depends. Uh, a lot of people want to see whether he's going to engage these countries differently. I mean, there are questions about um, payments to reparations to countries such as Jamaica, India, Kenya. I mentioned the crown jewels. We'd like to see how he's going to handle that um, going forward. It does feel like there's quite a lot of unfinished business. I mean, the, the passing of the Queen hasn't really ended these conversations. In some ways, actually, I think when you were talking about the younger people in these African countries, I mean, these are very live issues for them and they're kind of coming back to them now. Absolutely. I mean, they're talking about confronting this colonial legacy and they're not going to let it go because they feel that during the colonial period and pre that a lot was taken from the continent and they want to see people acknowledge this, take responsibility for this and pay back for this. And then I wanted to ask you about the, the people who are seeking independence from the Commonwealth. So, you know, of course, Jamaica said that they'll seek independence. Other countries, Barbados voted last year to become a republic. Do you think with the death of Queen Elizabeth, there will be more countries that will start to reconsider whether they want the British monarch in their politics at all? Yes, they will, because they're really wondering what value it adds to them in, in the present days. So I do think now that she's even gone, this conversation will be taken to another level. And do you think there might be movement on that? Do you think that there might be countries that will just decide to walk? 
Most likely. I mean, this is something we have to watch really closely. She was at the helm for 70 years and she's gone. So that's the end of a certain legacy. And now mm. I think, yeah, all these new ideas, they will come to fruition because people will now really push for this to be done. And then I wonder, how do you think the national stories of some of these countries will be affected by her passing? I mean, of course, you know, you could think about India, which has had such a long relationship with the, with the British, not always willingly, um, but other countries as well. I wonder if you think their national stories, like their, their sense of themselves in the world will, will change now that the, uh, the era has ended. No, not necessarily. And I'll talk more specifically about um, Africa. I mean, mm. she, in the past, oh, probably two decades, I haven't seen much of her having an impact on what was happening in Africa. Uh, what comes to mind for me was probably during Thatcher's reign, during apartheid South Africa, she and Thatcher didn't agree on um, sanctions there. The Mugabe era in Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe withdrew from the Commonwealth. Um, he had his knighthood um, removed by them because of the land grabbing in Zimbabwe. But post that, really, in, on the African continent, she hasn't really played a role post that Mugabe era. Lots of things have been happening on the continent in former British colonies, and we just haven't heard the Commonwealth or the British um, take a strong stance on it. In fact, the US has been more involved in African affairs than uh, Britain in its colonies. It sounds like you, you think that the formerly British colonies have just have moved on at a pace and the story of themselves has moved on with them. And perhaps the British and certainly the institutions of the British, like the monarchy, have just not caught up with that. Not at all. And if you look at um, the Commonwealth itself, and I'm talking more specifically about Africa, if you talk about the Commonwealth to any person walking in the streets of Lagos, for instance, you talk about the Commonwealth, what do they talk about? What do they think of immediately? They'll think about fellowships, think tanks, universities, scholarships, and that's it. This has been The Lead, the New Lines magazine podcast. You can read more about the passing of Queen Elizabeth II on our website, newlinesmag.com, with a new essay by Lydia Wilson. And you can follow Lydia on Twitter at LSMWilson, Amy at Amy underscore FR, and Kwangu at K Liweiwei. This week's episode was produced by Joshua Martin and Kristin Alhuli and hosted by me, Faisal Yafai. For more like this, subscribe to The Lead on your favourite podcast app. Thank you all for joining us.